Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Have you ever watched a film that's made you want to like get fit? Has there ever been like a film that's done that to you? Oh, that's a that's a good question. I don't think there is really. Uh, no, <laughs> the honestly, opposite makes you want to be a slob. <laughs> no, no, no I'm sure the time will come. I'm sure there will be a film that makes me want to do that. What about you? That... Uh, well, oh. weirdly enough, the so the film we're reviewing is the nostalgia pick this yeah. week. Oh, this oh month, right, is yeah. Fight Club now. Yeah. I don't, I'm not a vain person, particularly. I don't particularly think I'm a vain person. However, yeah. Brad Pitt's stomach is something that if I could, I don't know, I'd trade a bit for that. I wouldn't mind yeah. having his stomach. He does seem yeah. to be able to kind of rock something pretty impressive. I, um, it makes you want to cry sometimes, though, doesn't it? <laughs> you think, I'd like to have a stomach like that, but I know what it entails. <laughs> I think the worst thing would be as well, if you could do it, you know, if it was like, yeah, you can have that, but you've got to keep it. You've got to maintain it. That I would lose it, and that would yeah. just be even worse. Do you know, what I mean? to have it and then I, to have it taken and, away and take it away. But the thing is, though, Brad Pitt's what fifty-eight or fifty-nine now, and he's still kind of got that shape. Yeah, you all know? right, Brian. I'm in my thirties, and I no, don't... no, no. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just pointing out a, 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 a basic facts, you know. And it, again, it just makes you think: How on earth does he do it? But then again, though, he can afford to have a personal trainer. He can work it out every day. You know, he's got his own. He's probably got his own dietitian. You know, <laughs> his own body movement coach. You know, we haven't got that sort of thing, have we? We're just I have any of that. Well, I'll tell you, what I do have. Funnily enough, probably the reason why I'll never have a stomach like that. Um, we were contacted by a lovely company called Forest Feast, who, oh, right. I mean, bless you, Brian, you haven't had any of these, but they did send them to me. They've yeah. sent me some snacks for me to try, which oh. are meant to be kind of alternatives to your run-of-the-mill popcorn, because I don't know oh, about no. you, I'm not a big fan of popcorn, no, if I'm not honest. Huge. Not huge, no. really. And no. I think it's probably the worst kind of uh, snack for a uh, film. Anyway, so they've done kind of these 
well, first off, they're vegan. I don't know if they're all vegan, but the ones they've sent me are vegan, which I'm yeah. very happy with because my daughter's are uh, egg and milk free. But anyway, oh, um, okay. we've got chocolate covered raisins. We've got chocolate covered corn and we've got chocolate covered peanuts. So yeah, that sounds nice the way you're describing it, actually. They are delicious. I must yeah. say they are quite crunchy still. So it's a noisy snack. So I'm not going to eat them on the pod. I was eating them while we, uh, <laughs> while we tested our mics. Um, yeah. But they are really, really nice. I, particularly like the raisins i've always liked chocolate covered raisins because they are not a noisy snack so you're not going to annoy someone in the cinema i I know um, but they are really yummy um quite a quiet snack is what we need in in cinemas yeah so yeah forest feast i recommend them if you can okay uh, sounds good i I shall make a note of that i'll make a mental and a physical note of it (laughs) um but that's the reason why i don't have a six-pack is that i'm too drawn to chocolate covered raisins and not so much to the personal trainers yeah, well, yeah, it's, that, you know? it's understandable, isn't it? I mean, we're, as I say, we're only human at the end of the day. But it's it's nice to sort of reach for it, though, Chris. How close you get to it is another matter entirely. Well, as we've mentioned uh, chocolate, okay, let's do another one. Best scene or best film involving chocolate? Go for it. God. Oh, God. Um, oh, God, now you now you put me on the spot. Um, so I'll, I'll give you mine while you think of yours. Because, yeah, okay. right, well, first, it would either be the Augustus Gloop in... Uh, Willy Wonka, you know, when he falls in oh, the, okay. river, the river of yeah. chocolate, because yeah. that is pretty, pretty cool. Um, yeah. Or it would be the bit from Matilda, uh, the Bruce Bogtrot bit where he has to eat the cake. And yeah. I think that is iconic because it's like every child's dream to be told yeah. you have to eat the cake. But then when he's doing it, it's like, oh, it's like horrific. But then he gets the spirit of all the kids and they help him do it. And yeah. uh, so it's yeah, great one of those two. Yeah. I, I reckon the one that read it most readily springs to mind is Monty Python's Meaning of Life. Oh, yes. Mr. Creosote. <laughs> you, know, you know this thing I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah, with with, yeah. Uh, with Terry Jones and John Cleese is the, is the waiter. And he says, I waffer thin mints. No, I can't eat anymore. No. And that, to me, maybe for all the wrong reasons, it's kind of different for the ones you described, but it's just that kind of, that sense of excess and gluttony that, you know, you know, it's kind of, I know it's inside of me because, you know, I have a, shall we say, a healthy appetite. But, to, to, I mean, I'm a huge Monty Python fan anyway, but it's just classic Python. And it's it's kind of triggering a, a scene and a reaction with just a wafer thin mint, not a wafer thin, <laughs> a wafer thin mint, wafer thin. Uh, and I'm presuming that's a chocolate, actually, to be fair. It might not be. Could be a mint. Yeah, I mean, I think mint, of yeah. like uh, like an after eight or something. They're, they're that sort well, of yeah, that's thin, what thin mint. Yeah, yeah, thin mint, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah you, you've really, you've really given me a lot to think about here, Chris. I know, I'm putting you on the spot today because I, um, yeah. I think I'm all hopped up on chocolate, if I'm honest. I've been eating, I've eaten two bags so far already. Um, <laughs> right. On to the films, Brian. Come mm-hmm. on, we can't dilly-dally. Um, oh, right. Okay, fair enough. So, as always, listeners, um, Welcome to UK Film Club. This is where we review all sorts of films, from the cinema releases to the streaming picks. We've got a couple of indie short films on there. And as you've already heard, we're going to review a nostalgia pick, which this mm. week will be Fight Club. Um, I have asked for people's responses to Fight Club, but no one sent them. And I think that might be an internal joke as to the first two rules of Fight Club. You know, maybe <laughs> you people say yeah, yeah, we yeah. don't talk about it. So yeah. maybe everyone's playing a trick on me. Yeah, it could well be, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... <laughs> Without further ado, let's start with the cinema releases. Okay. What any particular order you want me to go in, or should I just take it as it comes? I'd like you to go in the order in which they 
appear in your mind when oh, okay. you th- when you think of them in terms of how lovely they are. Oh, okay. How lovely they are. Do I start with the loveliest first or the least loveliest? Lovely? Loveliest first. All right, the loveliest first. To the then, least right? loveliest. All right, okay then. Let's go with Air. Now, this is a film directed by Ben Affleck, starring uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, uh, Jason Bateman, Viola Davis. This is the story of how Nike cornered the market for baseball shoots using an up-and-coming Michael Jordan. Uh, We're talking about the birth of the legendary uh, Air Jordan boots. Great film. The the film of the month, as far as I'm concerned. Wow. It's no, it is. It's it's a it's a great piece of storytelling. It's true, and it, and it pins down something very clear in my own memory about when it all happened, when it started, and it also portrays the significance of um, branding, of image rights. That's where it all started with Michael Jordan and the Air, the Air Jordan at the time. I mean, don't know how familiar listeners are with the story behind Nike and Air Jordan, but uh, Converse were leading the market in basketball shoes. Adidas were kind of in there, but uh, Nike were lagging behind. Now, um, Matt Damon plays the the marketing man, Sonny Vaccaro, who's responsible for promoting baseball shoes. And it all hinges on what baseball players they can get to promote the boot, right? And they were struggling. And it's all about the time and chance and the opportunities they take. And, of course, Michael Jordan for uh, bootmakers back then was the hot ticket. Everybody wanted Michael Jordan. Straight out of college, he was the hot shot. He was the whiz kid. For, you know, and, of course, he proved that. But they were all fighting for his signature. And it's all about Sonny Vaccaro, played by Matt Damon, uh, winning the day, talking him around. But the interesting thing about this film, though, is that you hardly see Michael Jordan himself. You see the back of him. You hear him on the phone occasionally. And it's more about the negotiations that take place between Vaccaro and uh, Michael Jordan's mum, Dolores, played by Viola Davis. But cracking film, great film. And you get to see Matt Damon with a a beer gut, uh, which is is kind of tying in with what we were talking about earlier on. But... I, and I'm, it might be prosthetic, I don't know. I say that here and now, I'm not absolutely certain, but it looks pretty authentic to me. And I can see that he's worked hard on it as well. That is the thing. People don't always appreciate how hard it is to gain weight, you know, to mm-hmm. put that on. Um, I mean, I make it look effortless, but there's people out there that, yeah. that really, <laughs> really struggle. Um, but that sounds like a very cool film. I hadn't yeah. really heard of this one, if I'm honest, but I do love right. Affleck. You know, we reviewed... Um, Good Will Hunting uh, not long ago. We did, yeah. And um, yeah, always, always up for that. Any kind of combo with him and Matt Damon, and yeah. it sounds right up my street. Yeah, no, it's it, it's a it's a good film, and it work it works. But one thing that I think is interesting though is that to begin with, when it first came out, when on general release, it was getting almost a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So it was getting a five-star review almost every time. I found that slightly difficult to believe because it is, whilst it is a very good film, I don't think it's quite that good. And the review that we did on the website by George Wolf, I think George scored it about right. He gave it four stars. But, you know, I'm not saying that it's totally a, you know, unreasonable to give it five, but it's not quite a five-star film. But it's the film of the month for me. It is very, very good. And, of course, you've got a great cast. You're all very watchable. Totally convincing. Wow. That is 
lovely. You've gone yeah. with your loveliest, so let's have, let's have your next loveliest. My second loveliest, I would go for uh, On a Wing and a Prayer. Now, this is a, a film that was originally intended for general release, but for sort of legal and uh, licensing reasons, it's gone straight to stream via Amazon Prime. But a very solid film, directed by Sean McNamara, starring Dennis Quaid as Doug White, and Heather Graham playing his wife, Terry. Now, this is a true story. It actually happened. Basically, to still the story down, they charter a, a private plane after attending his brother's funeral, and the pilot has a heart attack, so Doug has to land the plane. He has to take over. He's only had a few flying lessons, so he has to be talked down by a traffic control. Now, this is a, a story we've heard endlessly, but what gives it an edge is that it is true. And what I liked about it particularly was the basic human quality that he wasn't being a, a hero. He didn't want to be a hero. He just wanted to get out of it alive. And I like that. I like that approach because, let's face it, this, this story's been done so many times before. But this isn't a, kind of like a professional pilot, like in a, a Sully or Flight, you know, the, the big budget films that have been made dealing with a similar situation where someone has to land a plane in distress, you know, you know, Sully with Tom Hanks and Flight with Denzel Washington. They were professional pilots, true stories, but professional pilots, they knew what they were doing, right? Doug White didn't have a clue, right? And it was obviously didn't have a clue. And I think some reviews of the film have been a bit snippy and a bit unfair because it is a good film and it works. And I like Dennis Quaid and I like Heather Graham, who kind of faded slightly from the scene. All actors have stars that fade, but it's nice to see them back. Okay, Brian, sounds like a, a real real treat. Um, Willie mentioned Tom Hanks because uh, I had a dream the other night and yeah. I was in some kind of corporate building. Tom Hanks oh, yeah. was there. And you know you can trust Tom Hanks, right? Tom of Hanks course. feels like he's Absol- the trustworthy person. Absolutely. And I made my way over to him. He's wearing glasses and he's holding some champagne. And he yeah. tried to get me to invest in this kind of venture that he was on. And I, I, at first I was kind of like, okay, well, of course, yeah, it's Tom Hanks. But... After a while, I started to get these really weird vibes from him. And ever since that dream, I felt a bit weird towards Tom Hanks. Nothing to do with him. It's not his fault, but dream Tom Hanks has really yeah. unsettled me. Has it, has it changed your view of him slightly? Hmm. I feel like, um, you know, when I watch Toy Story with my kids, I'm just like, <laughs> he's a liar, kids. Don't listen yeah. to him. <laughs> I know. You see, it's funny what it, what it can do, though, isn't it? I mean, did you kind of wake up when the dream wasn't complete? Mm, yeah. Did it, did it have a kind of a, an end no, going, no. I was know? going down some stairs, and then uh, that's the last thing I remember. But, but I remember being not happy with Tom for sure. Oh, you know, you know. I mean, you, if it's anyone you trust, it'd be Tom Hanks because he's Mister Dependable, isn't he? Really, in so many ways, that's what he what he represents. Good. Best, best, best Tom Hanks film. Oh, that's a tough one. I love doing this to you. It's so fun. Uh, Philadelphia. Oh, good choice. Yeah, Philadelphia. Very good choice. Followed by by Saving Private Ryan. But yeah, both up there for me. I, I still have such a soft spot for Forrest Gump. I think Forrest Gump's a great film. I really I, enjoy that. I really need to watch it again because I can I can remember some films that I watch. You, you know, I kind of react to films that are hyped, films that get a big uh, introduction. I tend to shy away from it a little bit. And Forrest Gump is that kind of film. Because I, I kind of mentally shut off and think, right, I'll, I'll leave that to one side, because I can't, I can't deal with all the attention, all the, all the fuss that it's getting. I want to see it for what it is. But yeah, of course, 
it, it's one of those type of films for us, Gump, isn't it? That he, there was someone who happened to be present at every sig- significant event in America in the 20th century. <clears throat> and wouldn't you just like to be able to do that and say, yeah, I was there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's a good one, though. Um, a good film. Yeah. So, On a Wing and a Prayer, second loveliest. What's the, what's the next lovely film we're going to Third, My third loveliest is A Good Person. Now, this is directed by uh, Zach Braff, starring Florence Pugh as Alison and Morgan Freeman as Daniel. Now, the story here, basically, is that Alison seemingly has a perfect life. Good job, engaged to the man of her dreams, then disaster strikes as Alison is involved in a fatal accident. <clears throat> her life spirals out of control. Uh, her relationship ends and resorts to drugs and alcohol. She goes to rehab and by coincidence, she bumps into Daniel, who would have been her future father-in-law. And they bond and they slowly begin to rebuild their lives. So this is the kind of film really that's not going to win any plaudits. It's not going to be on the radar for a lot of people. But the the acting, the standard of acting is top-notch. Really, really excellent acting. And it's, it's dealing with a traumatic event that has a ripple effect, a traumatic event, event affecting people's lives, not just for a day, a month, a year, but literally for 10, 15, 20 years. And it's how they cope with it and how they they reach peace and a resolution in their own, their own minds. But uh, a good film, a good solid film. And the way events overtake us, it's still on general release. And if you can catch it at the cinema, please go and see it and tell us what you think. But it is actually going on to stream this Friday. Uh, it, it seems to go past so quickly, you think the film's on release, and you have to be fairly quick with some films to see them at the cinema. But as we know, films have a much bigger impact on a big screen, they always will. But like I say, this film, terrific acting, you know, acting's perfect, it's superb. Morgan Freeman always does a, puts in a good shift. So I, I think I think it's a, a very, very good film. Fantastic. And I must say, I, I really like Florence Pugh. I've seen her in quite a few things now. And every time I see her, I'm just impressed. I don't think I've seen her put in a bad turn. Um, so, yeah, I'll be... Well, if yeah, you're going to streaming, I'll probably have a chance to watch that. So that yeah, sounds good. No, I know. This Friday. Um, the, uh, yeah, as I say, it's, it's, it's a film that... that, that presents characters that aren't you don't feel pity for them necessarily you don't feel sorry for them they've got a kind of an edge to them they're human right it's this human quality that i really like it's like on a wing and a prayer right it just shows right we're all flawed right and it means you won't necessarily root for anyone in this film in terms of the narrative but you gain something from it because it's just an engrossing watch and it shows how people deal with with events in their lives Fantastic and great review, Brian. Well done. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Uh, okay, so lovely, not as lovely, but lovely. What's next? What's next? Okay. <laughs> I tell you why I'm laughing. It's John Wick Chapter Four. Now, you you know I have an issue with Keanu Reeves. You know, <laughs> I I like him and I like his films. I'll say that here and now, but I don't think he's technically a very good actor. I want to say that before we go any further. Go on, after you. No, no, it's just every time you bring up this, it's just it, I just feel 
the listener. I feel on behalf of the listener, you know, the, that's fair enough. You've the got rage bubbling. Yeah. No, no, it's fine. No, you carry on and create a stir and then, then, <laughs> then, then waddle off as if you've not done anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a plan. All right. You're ready for that then, Chris. Yeah. Um, no, I think it could be that he, cho- he chooses films that don't require a lot of acting. And this, I think, for me, again, is, is the issue. Okay, look, let's look at this film. Um, Keanu Reeves in the title role, of course. Ian McShane reprises his role as Winston. And directed by Chad Stahelski. Uh, so, story, storyline, the narrative. John Wick has been condemned by the tyrannical high table. He has a plan for defeating them. But before he wins his freedom, he must face off against a new enemy with powerful alliances. That pretty much is the story. I don't think you really need to know much more about this. It's really about, as with the three previous John Wick films, it's about the, the combat sequences, the set pieces, the stunts. You know, there's a fair amount of CGI thrown in there. But visually, it's absolutely stunning. It really is. But that's all you can really say about it. It's very competent and it's very well done. But it kind of leaves me cold slightly because we're still not seeing Keanu Reeves act. We're seeing him kill people, basically. You know, he um, he is an assassin who's killing before he gets killed, which is what all assassin films are about, really, I think, in some ways. But hugely entertaining. But to me, I think you, you can get to a limit when you when you deal with an assassin storyline, but very good, good, competent, well made, and doing good business at the box office still. Yeah, it's got good rating as well overall. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of the John Wick films. I particularly like three, actually. I thought three was really good. Um, yeah, they're, yeah they're, but they are very much of a muchness. Like you're watching them and you know that you're in one and then you're in, then you're not in one. Um, yeah, and I couldn't well, yeah. really, other than the, the uh, sorry, spoilers, everyone, uh, but the, his dog dies. Like I can't really remember anything tangible about the plot. I know, but um, doesn't that so, tell you everything though in some way? Yeah. And, and that's absolutely fine. And I do think these films absolutely have a place in cinema, which is, you know, you can't leave your brain at the door. You don't need to yeah. really think about the plot and that's absolutely fine. They are also I, I, very good cinema films because often it's the yeah. spectacle that you're there for. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as I say, the visuals are stunning. I want, why say I didn't enjoy it? Very thoroughly enjoyable film. The visuals are stunning. I mean, there is one scene. Have you seen it? The four? No, I haven't seen four. No. Right, well, when you see it, there's an incredible scene outside the Arc de Triomphe. And what the stunts are just unbelievable. You, you just, you, your mouth crushes to the floor. I think, <laughs> how on earth did they do that? And as I say, I think maybe some of it is CGI. Uh, but I think a lot of it is real stunts. And, you know, you're in the hands of, of very skillful stunt men and stunt women who are very good at what they do. I mean, of course, he does a lot of his own stunts himself, Keanu Reeves. And, um, well, he's got to do something, hasn't he, Brian? If he can't course, act, yeah. then he's got to do something. Well, all right, well, well, <laughs> we'll have to do that podcast one day. And we'll analyse the films of Keanu Reeves. Yeah. But as I say, I, he, he has presence and he has charisma. There's no doubt about that. But I think I'd like to see him in a film where he does acting. Take away the the cars and the guns. Let's see him do some real acting. You know, that is all all I would say. But I like, as I say, I like him and I like his films. And he's the same age as me, virtually. So. 
There you go. But yeah. how many uh, how many podcasts has he done with me? None. No, but you've, you've done loads with me. Yeah, so. right. He's missing out, isn't he, Chris? He is. He's really missing out. But Keanu, if yeah. you are listening, you can take Brian's place at any time. Okay, just let me know. <laughs> Fair enough. I will step aside for him for one episode. One episode. I'll step aside. Wouldn't that be weird that he comes on but he doesn't say anything? You know, he just kind of comes on and just sort of sits there. You know, like... Yeah, we, yeah, you could sit, you'd sit there in a pair of sunglasses. And he'd be there like, I've heard what you've said about me on the podcast before. I heard what Brian said. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not contribute. Um, so that was John Wick for. Um, Okay, uh, we got one more. Yeah, one more. One more on the cinema releases. Yeah, Assassin Club, directed by uh, Camille Demar. Now I've got this name wrong. I'm always Demar. Camille Demar, uh, starring Henry Golding as Morgan and Sam Neill as Caldwell. So, very briefly, the storyline here is an assassin, another assassin, and I've left these two to last for a good reason. Um, so, another assassin is given a contract to kill. Uh, seven people around the world, only he discovers the targets are also assassins hired to kill him. Oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> well, again, thoroughly competent, very well made. I like Henry Golding, actually. I mean, he's been touted as a future Bond, and I think they could do a lot worse than cast him as Bond. But, I'm trying you know, to think of what... Oh, he was from Crazy Rich Asians, wasn't he? And yeah. he, was yeah. also, he was also in uh, Last Christmas with Amelia Fox. Uh, of course he was, yeah. 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 So, you know, I think, yeah, he can act and he, he can do the action stuff. You know, are you watching? Are you listening, Keanu? He can, he can act. <laughs> anyway, just... To, sorry, sorry. Um, but look, it's, 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 again, like John Wick Chapter 4, it's been very well done. It's, you, you know, what, what you see is what you get. Right, that's fair enough. It's good entertainment, but you compare it to the reception that it's that John Wick Chapter Four has got. Now, the reviews for Assassin Club are kind of mixed; they're not great. You know, fair enough. People have their views, but isn't it strange though that John Wick Four Chapter Four is treated with so much reverence because it is Keanu Reeves, but Assassin Club, uh, which is a very similar film, doesn't get the same. Uh, appreciation, level of appreciation. Does when, it operate on the same kind of technical level though with when it comes to the stunts? Because that's why I think John Wick does excel at. I haven't seen yeah, the fourth one, but for me yeah. that's what's really good about it. I, I think probably it's not quite on par with John John Wick for for its effects and its stunts. But it's it's getting there. You know, you could say John John Wick is in the Premier League and you could say that uh, Assassin Club is at the top of the championship pushing for promotion, you know? Um, it's kind of that sort of thing. But I just think it's interesting where you've got two films that, in essence, are very similar. Very similar. You've, you've got Sam Neill, who plays Caldwell, who's the, the mentor, the battle-hardened veteran. And you've got Ian McShane playing a similar role in John Wick 4. So the, the template is very similar. Of course, Assassin Club came after John Wick 4, so you could say it's, it's based on John Wick's sort of, kind of, sort of. But then again, we've had so many Assassin movies that what is what was the original template but it's all very well done you know and enjoyable but purely visual doesn't uh challenge the the senses in any other way but you know some people might be listening and say well that's fine that's what i'm looking for when i go go to the movies and i will will warn viewers i say warm viewers uh particularly fans of john wick and keanu reeves uh, Assassin Club. I think it's probably not giving too much away to say there'll probably be a sequel, oh, and that oh. won't be a huge surprise, really. Nah. <clears throat> but no, no. If you've got a big, 
big star in it as well. Like yeah. Often. Yeah. You know, okay. so, but, you know, good side fare, but probably not as good as John Wick. But you appreciate the point I'm making, though, about two films that are essentially very similar. Mm. They get a completely different reaction or, or a significantly different reaction from the public because, you know, Keanu Reeves sells the film, doesn't he? Well, I think it's like um, the Fast and Furious franchise. Like you look at that film and what they've done with it, it's absolutely balmy. Yeah. And it gets, you know, front pegging for so many cinemas and uh, magazines and all that stuff. But if you actually boil those films down to their core ingredients, it, they're pretty terrible. Like they're quite terrible. Like the acting is awful. The storyline is ridiculous. Yeah. But largely, I think it's the spectacle, I think, which people are just so drawn to. Yeah. Um, and, and fair enough. Fair enough. You know, it's each to their own. Um, it's like pop music. You know, if that's what's popular, then that's fine. But yeah. what I think is it's good when we do get to shine a light on these other films, especially ones that have a, a kinship with those yeah. types of films, because they could very much just go under the radar and you wouldn't yeah. even hear of them. Yeah, this is it. I mean, I think Assassin Club has has its merits. I would even say it's got a slightly stronger storyline than John Wick. That won't be difficult. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's got things in its favour. It's got things going for it. But again, we, we often come back to the same uh, conundrum, Chris, don't we? The same mystery about how, can you, how many times can you remake the same film? Which is what they're essentially doing, uh, but you know, there you go. It's it's an age-old argument that I think we could have. But you see, the thing is, if people, you give people what they want, give them what they want, and that's what, what we do. That's enough. what we do. That's what yeah. we try and do. Um, that's right, see. Yeah. Uh, that's your cinema releases wrapped up. Thank you, Brian, for um, you know going out and about and watching all those, Pleasure. so I can live vicariously through you. Yeah, which of is course. terrific. <laughs> um, we're moving on now to the streaming pick for the month. And bear in mind, a lot of what um, Brian has reviewed will end up on streaming, if not even by the time you're listening to this. Mm. Um, but this was something that just went straight to streaming. The Last Kingdom, Seven Kings Must Die. And I just want to ask you quickly, Brian. Yeah. Obviously, you, you've seen this, yeah? You yeah, watched yes. it. Uh-huh. But had you seen the TV show beforehand? No, I hadn't, to be honest. Ah, see, this is going to be interesting, because I have. So, between the two of us, we can encapsulate the entire viewership, because often when these things happen... It's interesting to find out if anyone who comes at it completely cold can still enjoy it. So uh, I'll let you... But do you want to sum up? Shall I sum up? Because if you haven't seen the original... Oh, well, why don't you sum up and I'll, I'll jump in after You that. jump in. You, you jump in with all the things I miss. Um, Fair enough. So uh, the main character in um, The Last Kingdom is Uhtred, and he is a character of both Saxon and Viking heritage, uh, so if you've seen the show, you'll see how he sort of is involved in the history of England and, and uh, Britain and becomes involved in all the different politics and but also the Viking invaders as well. We, there was a, quite a few series, and if I'm honest, it was quite a while ago I watched them, so the details are not exactly fresh to me. But um, on Netflix, there's a new film called Seven Kings Must Die, and if anyone opened their Netflix in April, you probably saw it because it was quite a popular one on their uh, mm. dashboard, as it were. Um, and in this film, we're seeing Uhtred kind of later on um, in his life. 
but uh, a situation comes whereby a new king um, has come to uh, the throne or is about to because of King Edward's death and it's his son who Uhtred has a very sort of soft spot for and he needs to protect him because whenever there's a change of a king there's always this sort of instability and there's a chance that you know, it could be civil war, it could be people vying for the throne so they need to get him um, crowned as soon as possible however um there are lots and lots of different things going on, yeah. which mean there's a lot of uh, unrest in the country, including uh, some Vikings that have come over and are spreading kind of the idea of war and the idea of uh, rising up against um, the new king to be. And the new king to be himself is also uh, being, shall we say, uh, influenced by these sort of religious sect that he yeah. has fallen in with mm-hmm. and causes problems for himself and mm-hmm. drama ensues. Mm-hmm. That was a very long-winded way of saying the plot, but have I missed anything, Brian? No, that's pretty much the size of it, I think. I think this is a great choice, Chris. You know, I did see it on, I did see it, you know, when you scroll through Netflix, you see, oh, that looks good, I'll see that, I'll see that. And it kind of shuffles into a kind of a mental cue in my own mind, as it does with a lot of people, I'm sure. But if you hadn't suggested it, I probably wouldn't have watched it as quickly as I did. I think this is great. This is a great pick, Chris. I really, really enjoyed this. I love history. I adore history. And this film really focuses on the birth of England as a sovereign nation. You know, this starts at the death of Edward the Elder, who was the son of Alfred the Great. So his natural heir was Athelstan. Now, Athelstan had ambitions really to be the king of a united England. And of course, as you've already described, that all kinds of forces were at play here, particularly between the the Vikings and the Anglo-Saxons. That here was an opportunity to truly unite not just England and Wessex, but the whole of England. And of course, Utrecht was a key player because he was essentially the king of Northumbria. I loved it. I thought it was great. This this period of history is so poorly documented on film for all kinds of reasons. When I watch a film about the medieval period, I can't get Game of Thrones out of my head. That's the only problem I have with it. You think, I, can, I wish I could stop thinking about the Lannisters mm-hmm. and Daenerys Targaryen because it's kind. we know that George R. Martin drew on British history somewhere, whether it was the Tudors or whether it's uh, whether it was Alfred the Great or whatever, but the principles are the same. You've got these warring tribes making alliances and settling scores, but it's a great piece of filmmaking. I think the battle sequences were amazing, absolutely incredible. But uh, good film, highly watchable, and if you're a history fan as well, you'll enjoy it more. Yeah, I think, like you say, it's not a, a period that's been massively covered and uh, not in any kind of modern sense anyway the the tv show also covers a lot of stuff that happens beforehand mm. and what i would say as someone that has seen the show as well as the film is that the film does suffer from trying to do too much in the space of a, a sub two hour film this could have easily been four hours i think mm. and, you know i saw a review from someone saying it should have been a mini series and I, I think i agree i think yeah. That or like a set of films, you could have had yeah. like a few films because they did move on to different 
places very quickly. There was a lot of jumping around, a lot yeah. of yeah, you know, and like you say, the battle sequences were really good, yeah. but they actually fit quite a few of those in that I yeah. thought they, they could have maybe stretched those out as well. It, it's it... one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's impressive, but I think you're right, though. I think they're trying to distill too much too much information into what was what two hours 20 minutes i think ish and i think it would have been better uh, as as a series or as as you say a series of films i think the potential is there uh, but it, it sheds light on a on an, ex, an exciting period of history but you know i was constantly stopping uh, as i was watching it i was pausing it and i was going online to think right wait a minute it made me brush up on my history a bit to try and work out what the dynamics were. But, you know, like I say, it's it's uh, it's hugely entertaining, but it might not be for everyone. But like I say, the games, the, the kind of the, the juxtaposition with Game of Thrones is always there for me personally. But I really must watch the series now you've mentioned that. Yeah, it's, yeah I think... It was a BBC thing, I think. But oh, yeah, it was, I think so. I might be wrong. But it was... um. It was good, yeah, we enjoyed it. Um but it was it was at the same time as Vikings was on and Vikings I thought was a more powerful show. Yeah, it stole its thunder a bit. Though. Yeah, it really did. And it kind of was they were running simultaneously and I think it didn't quite live up to that. But still good and I'm glad they did this film because actually it, yeah. it tied it up quite nicely and if only it could have just maybe been maybe even just two films, just 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 to give it it's like that um like Lord of the Rings, like when you watch it, I think you need the space, you need mm. the time, you can't fit all that into one film. Yeah, it just would no. never work. That's so right. I think it needed a bit more of that. But um yeah. I really enjoyed it. I thought I thought it was good. I I was I watched it in two parts because I uh, as I do. Um <laughs> and I was really, really excited to come back for that second part. I I was yeah. really into it. So um no, no, it's, yeah. good, it's good filmmaking. Very good filmmaking. Was I was impressed with it. Fantastic. Last Kingdom, Seven Kings Must Die. Mm. Um Okay. Next on, we're going to the indie films, and we actually have a trailer to listen to. So we're not going to review the film. Brian hasn't seen this film, and I haven't either. But um, I said to the filmmaker, we'll play a trailer mm-hmm. on the show. So uh, written and directed by Richie Booth. Um, this is Outlast, and it's available on Vimeo. Apologies for the swearing in the trailer. Um, <laughs> Oops. <laughs> uh, we're now just going with expletive episode, so... If you don't like swearing, maybe skip forward a bit. But um, yeah. this is Outlast. What's that? What the fuck? That's 
was a bad idea. Why do you suggest these things? Why? Now I'm in here myself, whatever the fuck it is. Right, is there anybody in this room here with me? Alone. I'm all alone. <laughs> right, please. I'm not here to hurt you. Please don't hurt me. Right, listen, 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 we just need to... Do you hear these voices? Okay, and that was Outlast. On next to the short films, and we have two. So, have you seen both of these, Brian? I have, yes. You have. And um, thank you to the filmmakers who uh, replied to my Twitter thread. This is where I got uh, some great recommendations. And um, a few people commented, a few people DM'd me, and it was just nice to have a bit of a collection. So, we'll start with the shorter of the shorts, which is A Glimpse, directed by Tom Turner. Mm. And Brian, go on with the synopsis. Oh God, I like this. This is such a such a good. It's good, isn't it? It is damn good. If I'd have been writing a review about this, I would have given it five stars easily. Ooh. Yeah, absolutely. I really, really enjoyed this. So this is the story of a couple that meet in a bar. No, it's a, it's a restaurant cafe type thing, isn't it? So you've got Jess and Alex, and Alex is sitting there typing away on his laptop, and Jess strolls up and says, "Can I?" Can I just charge my phone at, at this table? And they start chatting. Now, what we get in the next 10 minutes is uh, a glimpse. Here it comes, a glimpse of their future relationship, if it gets that far. And it couldn't, so it kind of overlaps. It goes back and forth. It, it actually incorporates... Now, some of the techies out there might correct me on this, but I think it includes elements of analepsis flashback and prolepsis flash forward which is very difficult to incorporate into any film into a feature-length film but they do it in a short they do it because the story is going back and forth you see the relationship developing and then you see the relationship hitting, hitting the rocks and then it goes back again and it all it comes back to the beginning again and it's it's him having to decide whether he calls her or not and she walks away but all the while it's kind of it's going forward, it's going back, it's giving you some idea of what the highs and lows in that relationship would be if they really hooked up. And I think it's a terrific piece of filmmaking. And the, the director, he's one to keep an eye on if this is what he's capable of, because I think that is damn good. And technically what he's done is very difficult to pull off in a 10 minute short. It is, and these are the types of shorts I love. Um, first off, it's a self-contained thing. You don't need any longer for this you wouldn't this couldn't be no. it's not like a proof of concept for a longer no, film no, which actually the one we're going to review in a minute kind of feels yeah. more than it is um and it has a, a very strong central idea and it, it executes it very very well and I, what i loved about it was the way the conversation their dialogue plays out in real time so it's just mm. their conversation doesn't it, they, there's no audio from these you know, like you say, the, the visions of the future of what their relationship is going to be, that's all just done as imagery. Mm. Um, but their conversation's happening. So as you're listening, you're having this very dramatic uh, and quite cute um, situation of them meeting and getting over that initial awkwardness, but mm. flirting slightly, whilst 
being presented with a whole relationship blossoming and unfolding and mm. going a, a direction in the background and I think what that is is really smart it's asking the viewer to do two things at the same time um, which I always like I like if you know, filmmakers are mm. treating their audience as intelligent mm. um, and it's also this idea of that this is what we do if we're in a conversation mm. we're actually often playing these sort of things out in our heads we're going yeah. okay well if that was to happen this was to happen this was to happen yeah. and I, I love the way they've captured that and done it with a relationship because obviously it's emotional it's moving and it's the, also this idea that maybe within this short space of them having this quick chat you know less than mm. 10 minutes that someone's going to make a decision yeah. whether or not to you know, act on this so based yeah. on what they think might happen a glimpse yeah. into the future should i engage and carry on with this person or should i not yeah. and your whole life could be completely different like, based like, on what you decide to do yeah and I, I think it's absolutely brilliant i really do you know the i think the script is excellent you know the di you know it, it gets a lot of dialogue in you know the dialogue in a short feature is normally very sparse but it's amazing the dialogue they get in and the pace they maintain. It's not rushed in any way. And the the script isn't overly clever. It's bright and it's articulate. But, you, you know, you warm to the characters. You like them. You like the way they talk. You know, they're both very photogenic actors. They're easy to watch, easy to listen to. Got good diction. Brilliant. You know, it all kind of works. It works so well. It really does. And... You know, I, I can't uh, commend it enough. It's that type of film. You know, and very rarely does does a short feature have that kind of impact for me. Um, and also just a quick shout out to the cast because um, mm. Chris Overton as the man and then Rachel Shenton as the, as the woman. Both fabulous chemistry, fabulous performances. Yeah. I first saw uh, Rachel Shenton in um, The Silent Child, which won the Oscar. It was a short film that won the Oscar a few oh, years back. Right. Okay. British yeah, film. Was... Really good, if you, can, yeah. if you can find that. Yeah, definitely. You know, there are two actors you think, God, they should be going places, seriously going places, but they're just actors you vaguely recognise. Mm. I'm not but sure you quite recognise uh, Chris Overton. I, yeah, they, they look familiar. She looked more familiar than he oh. did. He was a you producer. Know. It was in Pride, um, oh, but yeah, it, it was it was great to to see um, Shenton again. I thought she was really good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, big thank you to Rebecca Harris Turner. Uh, she's the producer, um, and she she got in touch on Twitter with me, and mm. yeah, so honoured to have seen the film and really yeah. great to review it on here, especially um, being a UK uh, film review place and mm. watching a UK film. Absolutely. So yeah. Let me Thumbs just up. check, uh, see if that is... Because ha I got a YouTube link, but I don't know if it was public. I can't remember if it was public. I think it is. Yeah, I think it is yeah, public. It it's on um, NITV Shorts. So, yeah, you can seek that out. It's called A Glimpse. Mm. And I strongly recommend that you do. Yeah, um, what are you doing listening to us? Go and watch that. Yeah, it's much 100%, better. 100%. <laughs> um, so that was A Glimpse. And the next short film we're going to review is the end is nigh you know this one i found quite disturbing and quite uh upsetting in some ways it was very good very well put together but you you just feel for this vulnerable blonde girl trying to trying to survive in what appears to be some kind of wipeout she appears to be the only 
person left. And she wanders around with a with a um, a bow, a bow and arrow. It's like an electric bow type thing, isn't like it? A crossbow. Sort of thing, crossbow. Yeah. That's the, that's the phrase I was looking for. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> and um, she's surviving off the land, and she comes across a man who's taken her kill for the day, and he convinces her to come back to his cabin, where he can he can cook for her. And straight away, you feel a sense of foreboding. You you fear for her. You really, you think to yourself, "Don't go there," and I don't don't. But there's a, an essential dilemma, though, for anyone in that position, is that you don't want to be alone against the world, but you want to be with someone. But can you be with someone that you don't know and someone that you're not sure you can trust? And it, as I say, it, it it winds. The plot winds quite nicely up up to a uh, a conclusion, but very engrossing, and you you care about the. You care about the girl. You you care about the girl who's defenseless and on her, on her own. But yeah, very 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 sort of affecting. You know, quite uncomfortable and disturbing because you you feel you feel for her. Yeah, I'm mean, I, I'm the father of two daughters, and watching a film like this is quite troubling for me. Yeah. The idea that because yeah. I think she says she gets separated from her mum and her sister. Yeah. Um, and so that obviously plays into it. And, you know, she is, she's 10, I think. And she's yeah. just, um, she's actually fending for herself. She's trying to, I think she tries to fish at one point and she can't really do it. And, you know, she's trying, she manages to capture a fox. Yeah. As you say, the, the guy comes and he's got it. And you're just like immediately going, okay, well, stranger danger, obviously, but also mm-hmm. you're in this post-apocalyptic world. So maybe you need to, some help yeah. and it's a really weird uh kind of conundrum to be watching and yeah obviously they they go back and more things happen over there but yeah what i liked about it was first off it's a film that feels like it's been made with very simple ingredients you know they're not trying to do way too much with very little budget and um they capture this sense quite authentically um you know the idea that you don't really see anything else it's filmed largely in these kind of isolated woods and aesthetically it worked for me as I feel okay yeah I believe you that's what we're watching I found the storyline maybe a little bit kind of as I, as I hinted at earlier that this was more of a proof of concept of a bigger film that it was like this it should could, actually be an hour and a half yeah, feature it, yeah it could well be I mean I think as we said previously on podcasts that you know, a short film can sometimes work like a kind of a, a testing ground. It, it's kind of, like you say, proof of concepts. And it, it does feel a bit, a bit like that. It does feel like a tryout for a series of some sort. And on that basis, it's, it's certainly got potential. You know, you, you're on board with the story straight away. You, you kind of instinctively know what's going on. So it's got that going for it as well. It's got that sense of immediacy there. But yeah, it does seem to have you know, legs potentially, but, you know, very solid, engrossing. You get involved, you, you, um, you're on her side. <laughs> you know, there's just no other way of describing it. You're on her side, you know, not necessarily he's, but they, they, for all we know, they could be two people that are desperate for someone to, to care for, someone to look after, someone to support them, you know. So it's kind of opening up some fairly sort of basic human needs, and you know, I, I've just got over watching um, The Last of Us, which was a series with a very uh, similar kind of yeah. 
well, not not that similar actually in terms of this dynamic, but the idea of yeah, um, post-apocalyptic, a girl trying to survive, and yeah, it, it it does obviously give you plenty to chew on. There's so much there, yeah. like uh, dramatically, um, and I think that so the writer is Nathan Sewer, who who actually was the person who got in touch and asked me to add it to our list. Yeah. Uh, he writes and he stars. He's the the, the guy, oh. um, and here the 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 younger lady is Chloe Sewer. So I'm guessing is his daughter. I don't know. Yeah. It might be a niece, but yeah. I'm guessing is his daughter and that obviously I think helps in the film because there's certain bits where it is quite uh, intimate and maybe a bit traumatic and stuff. There's things that happen. Not It's not like horrific or anything, but there's just things that you know could be a little bit disturbing. Yeah. Um, that I think the, that that explains that, but it's not directed by Sue. It's directed by someone called Jamie Lynn Begley. And I think that's actually key. I, I've said this before on the podcast, mm. especially with short films, where you are, you, know, you have someone, maybe they want to make a film, they do everything because mm. it's just cheaper and easier to do it. But yeah. I think if you're going to be in the film, I don't mm. think you, and you wrote it, I don't think you should be directing. Yeah. Uh, or at least you need to have someone else, yeah. you know, assistant director or whatever, because no one's going to give you, you, you can't give yourself that feedback. You know, no. And I think that's important. Yeah, I think you're right. You can't give yourself directions, can you, really? And you could, you know, however good someone might be, you can spread your talents a bit too thinly. Now, it might work with a big budget and mm. you're directing and starring, but with a very tiny budget or a shoestring, yeah, it's tempting to sort of to sort of be the the bottle washer and the, the gopher and the, the star. And, you know, you could do it all, but I think it works if someone else gives you direction. And that you feed back, there's that kind of rapport between director and actor that, that you need to capture. And I think it works better that way, definitely. So I think you're right about that. There you go. And that was The End Is Nigh. It is, I believe, on YouTube. Um, and mm. it's, let me just check, it's not unlisted. Yeah, no, I think it's visible. So yeah, if you search The End Is Nigh, you'll probably find it. But if not, Nathan Suher, um, which is S-U-H-E-R. Hopefully I'm saying that right, Nathan, apologies. And um, yeah, check it out on YouTube because I think it's worth a watch. I think it's, it's no, it and especially if you're into the kind of indie films and you, you know, maybe you're a filmmaker yeah. and you make short films, it's just interesting yeah. to see what someone's done with yeah. a post-apocalyptic world on, I, I would say, must be a fairly humble budget. I don't think that's a high budget film. No, I wouldn't have thought so. But then again, though, it kind of adds to the to its value in some ways. It's aesthetic value that you're not you can you you know you can throw loads of money at a at a film, couldn't you? And it sometimes it won't amount to much or it won't have much substance. But I think with this one, you, it shows that you can make a, a credible film with, without a huge budget. There we go. And that was our short films and indie films that we've uh, shone a light on. Mm. So. That only leaves us with the nostalgia pick. Yeah. And as we've already said, it is the 1999 cult classic, although to be honest, it's more of a mainstream classic these days. Um, David Finch's Fight Club based on the Chuck Palahniuk book. That was a lot to say in one go. It was. It was a mouthful. I'm glad you said that. (laughs) Now, when this came out, I was only 11. So I watched it as a young teen, probably a bit earlier than I should have done at my father's um, kind of recommendation. My dad was big on films and he had sort of said he'd watched this film fight club and it really stuck with him and I should watch it. 
And I think that was quite telling of what my dad thought my kind of mental maturity was at that point, <laughs> that he thought I could handle this film. Um, but I did, and it became my favourite film. Uh, I yeah. absolutely love Fight Club. I wouldn't say it's necessarily my favourite film now, because I think maybe my taste of change, and I think yeah. this came at a time when, obviously, it's dealing with a lot of themes of anarchy and yeah. you know okay. all yes. that sort of stuff that yeah. as a teenager that really reverberates quite well with you yeah. that you know as a 37 so, father of two with a mortgage I'm, I'm not yeah. as I'm not as anarch- what's the word anarchy driven as I was yeah. you know <laughs> well uh, I mean I uh, I I wasn't 11 Chris when the film came out you weren't were you? We, no, I wasn't. You, you were the same age as Keanu Reeves was wasn't you yeah that's, yeah, that's, that's right yeah, yeah that's right I think but, he was 12 yeah exactly um but with Fight Club now when you you suggested it my memory of it because I haven't seen the film since it I mean I went to see it at the cinema when it came out but I've not seen it since really yeah Absolutely. I've not seen it since. And my memory of it was that it felt more like a style vehicle for Brad Pitt and Edward Norton. But having seen it now, I realise what a very, very good film it is. It, it's brilliant. You know, it's it's alarming, but it's also very funny in places. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, so dark, are, darkly funny, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there are laugh-out-loud moments in that film that I'd totally forgotten about. I think what... What makes it work, that what gives it cult status is the fact that the the characters are played by um, Edward Norton. I, mean, I think it's just called the narrator, isn't he? Yep. Right. That character is is driven quietly insane by the routine of life. You know, he's standing there in front of a photocopier uh, and he's he's somewhere else. You know, the, the routine of life is driving him to distraction. And I think we can all relate to that because our lives are dictated by routines. But most of us, we just get on with it, don't we? But there are some people that can't. Some people need a safety valve, an outlet. And he starts looking for an outlet, doesn't he? And he becomes a grief tourist. And that first part of the film, I think is just hilarious, really. Particularly when he when he meets uh, Marla Singer, played by Hannah Bonham Carter. The exchanges between those two are are really, really funny. You know, where he says, you know, he spots her, she's a faker, he's a faker. And he said, I can't cry if there's another faker present. And they start dividing up all these grief support groups. <laughs> and I, I just think that is just so... My favourite bit of that is when he goes, oh, like the testicular cancer, that should be me. And yeah. she goes, well, actually, you've still got your balls, it should yeah. be me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great... Look, the thing is, whilst we can't trivialise what is a very serious subject, but, you know... It, the, the way it's projected, the way it's put across, it's funny. You can't help laughing at it. But you keep on thinking to yourself, I shouldn't be laughing at this, but I am. And that's the, the way it goes. And I think Meatloaf does a does a great cameo as well. Oh, yeah, he's uh, great. Well, uh, rest him. But he, he, I think, really, we, we don't realise what a very good actor Meatloaf was. We didn't see the best of him as an actor. But I think he did a really nice cameo. But, of course, the story moves on. And... Uh, the narrator meets Tyler Durden, played by Brad Pitt, on a flight. And, again, quite funny the way it all starts, though, isn't it? That without giving too much of the plot away, uh, the narrator ends up on, ends up being uh, the lodger to Tyler Durden. And this is when the fight club starts. The, they just decide to start a fight. They come out of the bar one night. They start a fight. And they realise they quite enjoy it, if that's the right word. 
and you think, how could this possibly grow? But, you know, I think we would have to accept that it is, it is based on fact. These things do go on. But again, it, it, it just kind of goes into comedy mode as well. When he starts giving them homework, and he's like, go out and start a fight with somebody you don't know. <laughs> I, love I, that think that, I think that's funny as well. You know, when they, you know, the guy's got a hose and he's, he's spraying the, the the vicar, the reverend, and he's <laughs> surely, you know, get angry about about it. I, I just think it, it's great. The, and of course, then it um, it kind of switches into Project Mayhem, which is kind of like Fight Club going outside and. It, that's when true anarchy kicks in, I, I guess, really. But a, a very, very good film. You know, you, you can't really knock it for entertainment value. And it is thought-provoking as well because of where of where the narrator starts. Because he, he, he starts off with a, a good job. He's, a, he's a, a recall coordinator for a car company, isn't he? Yeah. He's got a good job. He's got a nice condo that he's filling up with furniture from Ikea or wherever it is. But he's completely bored by, by the mundanity of it all. You know, you know, there's one great, there's so many great lines in this film. I, you know, I was writing them down as I was watching it. You know, he's looking at his boss and he's saying, oh, it must be Tuesday. He's, worn, he's wearing his cornflower blue tie. And you think, this is just somebody who's driven, driven mad, really, by, by life being so regimented but as i say it's something we can all relate to but it's something thankfully the vast majority of us don't fall into but you can see his perspective in some ways but you know because i i think there's probably an anarchist in in most of us insofar that we we want we do wonder we think what would it be like to do that i think it's it's also that like sense of uh being unhappy with the status quo or you go you go along with stuff because that's what's expected of you like he's expected to create create an ikea living room and he's expected to go to Mm. that actually you get swept up in that tide and it's only when a character like tyler durden comes along that goes do you know what actually there's another way and it seems so unreal at first like what there couldn't be another way and that other way involves punching each other in a car park and then it becomes more clear that actually Yes, whilst that seems extreme and seems very odd, when you start to look at the, I don't know, the, the normalities of life, they seem quite odd. You know, the fact that what we do and what we do every day yeah. and what we what we subscribe to does start to feel very alien when you watch yeah. it in this kind of setting. And actually, when you compare it to those grief groups at the beginning, that's really interesting because you've got this idea of like people being so powerfully overwhelmed by what's going on in their lives health-wise, yeah. that they're all coming together and sharing stories and crying with each other whilst everyone else is just living their day-to-day lives as normal mm. as if none yeah. of this is going on. And I think it's it taps into that. The book itself is really good. I read the book uh, uh, after the film, and, and right. the book is really, really powerful too. It's not that dissimilar to the film, right. um, but there's, it's worth a read because um, Chuck Palahniuk's a very interesting writer. But I think with... With um, Fight Club, what I really loved about it as well was the way the filmmaking still feels very impressive, like with mm. all of the 
cut scenes and the little nods of the head they're very smart obviously also we're, not, we're trying to not spoil this but this mm. film did come out over 20 years ago so you probably know the the, the, uh, yeah, the, the twist yeah. um but when you then re-watch the film knowing the twist it's like yeah. a completely different film you watch it and yeah. go oh wait a minute this actually is even yeah. more clever than i thought and i i think fight club is one of the very few films that can do that and, I, and i'm very surprised you've only seen it twice brian that's incredible well, yeah but see that's the funny thing though i don't know why because it is it's a film film that i i like it, you know i watched it i thought yeah this is great you know this is this is my kind of film because because you know because of the story it was daring as well for the late 90s you know to come out with with a film like that that was so alarming and so disturbing but also hugely entertaining at the same time, um, I don't know why I've not why it's been 24 years since I've last seen it. I don't know why that is, but I'm glad you suggested it, Chris. Well, there we go. I mean, I'm going to do this to you now, though. Uh, what's oh, your right. favourite David Fincher film? Oh God, no. Um, he has directed 94 things, so this could be yeah, quite hard. But he he what he directed a lot of videos though, didn't he as well? Yeah. Um, oh God, that is tough. Because uh, you've got Seven, you've got Fight Club, yeah. Panic Room, Zodiac. Yeah, I mean, they're all great. I mean, um, Zodiac was brilliant. Panic Room with Jodie Foster, that was great as well. I think really, if, I, if you're pinning me down, if you're asking me for the best David Fincher film, I think it would have to be Seven. Seven is very good. I, must so, I mean, it's Brad Pitt again, isn't it? It's Morgan Freeman again, who we spoke about earlier on. Yeah. You know... Very, uh, quite, uh, I don't know, scary to start with. You know, you know, everyone on screen, right? You can, you know, as a writer, as a director, you can, you can kill as many people on screen. It's not real, right? It's just imaginary. But um, a film like Seven really had an effect on me. First of all, you think, God, that's frightening. That's scary. But it shows how good the film is. But it's that film that's that's gonna gonna stay with you. Right. I mean, Seven's a film that I've watched more than once, so it's not like Fight Club, which surprises me now when I think of Fight Club. I think, right, I've seen Seven three or four times, probably. And they were made around the same time, weren't they? Yeah. yeah. I think uh, I think um, Seven came before mm, yeah. uh, Fight Club, didn't it? 95, yeah. Yeah. But I've seen Seven a few times, but not Fight Club. I don't know why that is. But... See, I'm the other way around. I've only seen Seven a couple of times, like, yeah. and not not at all recently. Whereas Fight Club is one of those films I'll often see it's on and I'll kind of watch bits of it here and there. And I watched it a lot as a kid. Well, kid, yeah. teenager. Um, but both absolutely brilliant. I think they're also very much in the same kind of ballpark, like for audiences. You know, you're, yeah. you're talking dark kind of thriller-esque yeah, yeah, films. definitely. And as I say, quite, quite scary, quite challenging, but totally gripping at the same time. You can't help but watch... Those films, they, they hold your attention. And with a lot of films, you know that you think, oh, that's good, but you can pause it, you can stop it. If you're watching it at home, it's like we said before, you're watching a film at home, if you pause it, you stop it. You know, some films you can't do that. Some films you've got to stay with. Fight Club is a film I stayed with and didn't leave it. Same thing with Seven. You know, it's a film that, that holds your attention, you stay with it, you keep with it. If you're watching at home, because that's the real test, isn't it? I mean, if you're at the cinema, 
well, you've got to, haven't you? Really, <laughs> don't you can't sort of you can't sort of nip to the uh, the kitchen to get a, a lager out of the fridge or, or whatever. Um, <laughs> so that's slightly different, but I mean that's always a test of a great film if it holds your attention and demands your attention, which is what David Fincher films invariably do. There you go. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, we're gonna pick the um, nostalgia pick for next month now because oh. I want to give Brian time uh, to think about it. Also, it'd be nice to let you listeners know what we want your thoughts on for next mm. month. So do send them to us in whichever format you find easiest. You can uh, send us a voice clip on our website or you can tweet us or Instagram us, whatever it is that you like doing. Um, and that uh, So Fight Club is available on amazon prime so if you've got prime you can go watch it but obviously it's it's also available generally like quite easily um but i thought this time we'll pick something that's on iplayer because i know a lot of people like iplayer and i do like i like it too and this is a film i've only seen this once and i had very underwhelming feelings about it however i have since been lectured numerous times <laughs> by many people and also yeah. someone even went as far as to buy me a blu-ray of it oh wow and i still haven't That's... unwrapped it um which is children of men have you seen I... this one i no do you know i don't think i have that's michael kane isn't it children of men Children of Men, uh, no, it's, is it, no, it's, um, what's his name? The tall guy. What's the tall guy's name? The tall guy. You're not narrowing the field down very much. Come on, that tall guy. <laughs> <laughs> you don't I'm, know I'm the not... tall guy? Come on. Uh... That guy. Oh, what's his name? Hold on. Oh, I'm to have to look it up now. iPlayer doesn't actually have the information. It's going to really annoy me because, uh, yeah, Clive, I mean... Clive Owen, Clive Owen. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I like Clive Owen. He's good. Um, it's an Alfonso Curon film. So, um, with, it's got Julianne Moore. So, look, it's on iPlayer. Children of Men. Um, not really a nostalgia pick, as I've only seen it once and didn't like it, and Brian hasn't seen it. So, seen. But for other people, they might feel nostalgic about this film. And it came out in 2006, so that's plenty of time for it to be considered nostalgic. And I wanted a, an excuse to watch it anyway. So we're going to do Children of Men, yeah. and everyone can tell me why I'm wrong and why it's the best film ever. Yeah, Hopefully absolutely. I've changed my mind by the time I watch this. But Well, yeah, this will be a challenge for us, won't it? Um, Michael Caine is in the film. Uh, oh, Julianne it? Moore, Clive Owen, Chiwetel Ejiofor, and Charlie Hunnam. So oh, so you were right. It is Michael Caine. So have you seen yeah. it then? No, no. I, I knew Michael Caine was in it. <laughs> I, I'm very good at naming cast, cast members, but... Not necessarily the films. It's yeah, but are you as good at saying whether they're tall or not? Because that's what uh, I did. No, obviously I failed that test, didn't I? You did. Uh, obviously, yeah. No, it looks good, but no, I've not. I've not seen it, so it will be a, it'll be a new, a new one for me. So yeah, mm, there we good. go. Well, you've been listening to these children of men uh, talk film for an hour, so um, we're going to love you and leave you, our listeners, and thank you again to um, everyone who shares and likes all the episodes um we have some really lovely uh, followers which is great thank you brian for watching all the films and Pleasure. your lovely um thoughts on all of them too and to everyone else we'll see you again next time bye for now Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.